Hey, good morning, everyone. And uh, those that are here present and also everyone online, uh, so good to see you all and to enjoy this time together. I want you to quickly, just off the top of your head, try to remember your top three sermons you've ever heard, the most impactful sermons you've ever heard. Get three of them in your mind right now. hard to do, isn't it? <laughs> now let me try another one. What I want you to do right now is I want you to think of three people that have been powerfully impactful in your life in a really positive way. Three people. And I'll bet that was a lot easier because people really impact us in a positive, powerful way. Sometimes we forget the words. In fact, uh, our teaching team was talking this last week as I was telling them I was going to share this illustration. And we started laughing because people couldn't really remember what the sermon was about last week. And I had to admit, I, I couldn't remember the content of the last sermon I even preached. And we just had a good laugh about that. That yes, sermons are important, especially if you take notes. Because if you take notes, you'll learn a lot more. Or if you really listen to it. But the reality is, is that sometimes they just come and they go. But we don't forget people and their impact and influence in our lives. In fact, if they're impactful people, we oftentimes remember more of what they said. And as Luke commented, we're looking at how the earliest Christians played out the words and ways of Jesus in their local context. In their context, oh, there goes the umbrella. We'll just leave it right there. It's okay. Uh, the words, that if the TVs go, then we need to someone grab them, okay? Um, uh, I love worshiping outside. I do. I just, the nature, and every morning I come here and I pray that the hawk once again is going to make an appearance. So if you have small children, you may want to keep them close to you. Um, we're looking at how these earliest Christians, and this letter to the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians, is one of the earliest writings that Paul gave. And so the early church oftentimes would get a letter from a person like Paul, and they would listen to it read aloud, because they didn't have it written down, and then they would discuss it. They would try to understand what this means for us. And so that's what we're going to do today. And in verse uh, 6 of chapter 1, Paul says that you became imitators of us. This early church became imitators of Paul and Silas and Timothy and of the Lord. They imitated their mentors as they imitated Jesus. So last week, as Luke said, Todd preached on the first chapter. And in the first chapter of 1 Thessalonians, we discover really a model church. This church was a model church for us. And if you read through that chapter again, you'll discover all the ways that Paul praises them in terms of how the life of Jesus was manifest in their life. And now we turn to chapter 2 and we're going to flip it because now we're going to look at model mentors. The first chapter is about a model church. Now what we'll look at today is what are some of the characteristics of a mentor that really makes a powerful impact in another person? And here's the big idea from this message. Here's what I want to convey. <clears throat> the words and ways of Jesus inevitably will lead us 
to invest in others. If we take seriously the words and the ways of Jesus and immerse ourselves, marinate ourselves in his life, his words, the gospels, the things he said, inevitably that's going to lead us to want to invest in other people. Because the greatest commandment is to love God, or even better, to be loved by God. And when we love God and we're loved by God, we naturally then step into the second greatest commandment, and that is to love our neighbor as ourself. That's such a great way to live. Love God, let him love you, and that will seep out of us. That will leak out of us. It will overflow out of us in loving other people well. That's called mentoring. That's called leadership. So think about your sphere of influence because all of us have a sphere in which our being influences the people around us. And, you know, it's Mother's Day. So think, Mom, your sphere of influence has been very strong in your work world and in your family. Dads, same thing. That's, that's part of your sphere of influencing. Parenting is a wonderful God-designed sphere of influence a place for mentoring, a place for leadership, as we pass on to the next generation that which God has given to us. And if you work in any kind of context, like if you're a teacher in a school, then you have a sphere of influence in that classroom. You influence those students. If you're a coach, a powerful sphere of influence in, in, in pouring into uh, young athletes. If you're uh, a person that, that in your workplace, you supervise other people, that's a sphere of influence. Where you, you, are, you are, by who you are, you are bringing about some formation in those people's lives. So a lot of times we think, well, I'm not a leader. You know, the leaders are the people up front or, you know, in charge of everything. But I would suggest that if you influence another human being in that sphere of influence, you are a leader. Because I would define leadership as influence. So in one sense, as we follow the words and ways of Jesus, all of us are called into this life of leadership and mentoring at whatever level that influence happens to be. So I want to read the first 12 verses of chapter 2. I want to invite you either to follow along in your scriptures or just to listen because this is how the early church did it. And then they discussed it. They talked about its meaning and its application. And that's why we meet in small groups, to, to talk about the implications of the scriptures in our lives. That really is the dynamic of our grounded groups. We, we give a sermon here that maybe you don't remember, and then in your grounded group, you can talk about it, and the person that took notes can say, no, that's not what he said. This is what he said. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been mistreated treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. 
On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God, who tests our hearts. You know, we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. And because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. That's Paul's writing to the church in Thessalonica. The words and ways of Jesus ultimately, inevitably, will lead us to invest in others, to give our lives away for others. And I don't know if you saw some of the characteristics of a really good role model, a good mentor, while I read that text. I'm going to point out six that I found, and I'll go through them rather quickly. Uh, They're easy, probably, to remember, but you don't need to remember them. The first one's in the first verse, and I would say that a characteristic of a godly mentor or a person of influence that is helping another person is to trust the results. Trust the results. Our visit, Paul says, to you was not without results. In other words, what Paul is saying is, when we came to visit you, it was not a failure. And oftentimes when we invest in another person, when we're mentoring, when we're giving ourselves away, when we're trying to raise up younger people, we can feel like a failure. We can feel like, ah, man, my parenting is just not working. Paul says, trust the results. This is based on what we would call the incarnation. In other words, Jesus was God in a body, God in the flesh, incarnation, in that's, that's body, that's flesh. Jesus left the comfort of heaven and he came and lived amongst us. He visited this planet to give himself away for us. And Paul was influenced by the model of Jesus and therefore he did the same thing in going to plant this church. So we model what Jesus did by going to those who want to help. We go to them. This is foundational in our sphere of influence. We go. We take the initiative with another person. We go first. We show up. I've learned in leadership, I've learned in ministry, in any endeavor in influencing other people that showing up is so important. Consistently showing up in another person's life. 
And if you ever have that prompting inside that there's a person that you somehow could reach out and help or encourage or coach, follow that prompting. Just go for it. Because that's the Holy Spirit nudging you. And that's what a mentor does. That's what a leader does. They go first. And it is easy in leadership. It's easy in life. It's easy as a parent, as a teacher, as a coach. It's easy to feel frustrated, to sometimes feel like, what am I doing? And I've been a pastor for most of my life, for decades. And I'll tell you, I've gone through deep seasons of discouragement. I've spent the bulk of my career as a pastor serving students and their families. And any of you that work with adolescents, you know it can be challenging. It can be hard because they are a changing, evolving, developing, excited, wonderful, amazing group of people. And I, I tell Luke all the time, Luke, I just think you have the greatest job in the world to love junior high and high school students. I think it's a high, a high privilege, and I have considered it such, a, such an honor to have had that relationship with um, high school students, college students over the years. But it's hard. It's hard. Giving yourself to other people and seeking to see Jesus, seeking to see Jesus formed in them, it, it, can be, it can be challenging and it can be hard. And Paul says, trust the results. Keep showing up. Because Paul said in verse 2, we did this with the help of our God. God is always helping. This is God's ministry, and he's using you as a conduit of his love. So trust God in the leadership that he's called you to and you're stepping into. So trust the results. Secondly, in the second verse, expect strong opposition. Paul was outrageously treated in Philippi. And you can read the story in Acts chapter 16 and 17, and you discover in that story that because Paul brought the gospel to Philippi, he was beaten with metal rods. He got a severe flogging. So his body was just beat up for sharing the good news of Jesus. He got arrested and put inside the inner prison. And when he finally got out of prison, he left Philippi because he got run out of town and he came to Thessalonica, the next city, where he's going to start to try to plant a church and bring the gospel. And a riot started in the city when Paul showed up. So he had strong opposition to his ministry of leadership, to his mentoring. And we may not experience that kind of severe physical opposition, but there is always a price to be paid for leaving the comfort of our world and entering the world of another. I'll give you an example from my own ministry as a youth pastor. There have been times as a youth pastor where a student will come to Jesus and their zeal for Christ becomes a problem for their mom and dad who don't know Jesus yet. And they kind of freak out a little bit at this passion that their student has and they're going, what happened to you? And they look at the youth group and I'll tell you, this is the truth. Sometimes they've looked at the youth group like it, that must be a cult. There's something weird happening over there with all these students and their, their zeal for Jesus. In fact, I had one dad who was so upset about this that he threatened to sue me 
And the reality is, is he had the ability and the wherewithal to actually sue me for something that had happened in the youth ministry. And I thought, oh my goodness, I, th this is a high price to be paid. It's costly. And we ought to expect strong opposition in our parenting, in our teaching, in our coaching, in our workplace, in our discipling. Because there are spiritual forces that are at work in the world today that do not want you to do what you do. They do not want you to bring good news into the life of another person because that's what we're about. We have a message of hope and good news and wholehearted living that we can pass on to other people and the evil one does not want that to be done. So leadership is not without its problems and its opposition. The third is in verses 3 to 6. And here, it's the context of what was very common in these Greek towns. And there were some charlatans and hucksters that were out peddling a message. They were usually doing it for self-gain, even monetary gain. Of course, we don't have anybody in our world like that today. But Paul definitely experienced it. In fact, he was accused often of being a charlatan, of being a huckster. He was doing this for the money. And Paul says, no, 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 no. I have purified my motives in my relationship with Jesus. And he wants us, when we think about our investment in other people, to constantly check our motives. He says, um, we didn't come to you with, with, with error or impure motives. We're not trying to trick you. We're not trying to please people, but God, oh, it's so easy to end up being a people pleaser when we're influencing others. We want people to like us. He says we never use flattery. In other words, Paul was not a manipulator. We don't wear a mask to cover up greed. He wasn't using his influence for financial gain. We're not looking for praise from you or from anyone else. Sometimes when you're a strong leader, you have to get past the point of, oh, but I just want people to like me. Because leadership can't be effective when that's our primary motive and goal. Paul said, no, I am investing for your sake, not mine. That's just an important thing to remember, even for you that are parents, is that parent, parenting is a, is a long-haul journey. I mean, it, it actually never ends, right? And, and, and parenting our kids has gotten harder. And, and we have to remember that we're parenting for their benefit, not solely for ours. We get it mixed up sometimes as if, as if we somehow wear our children as a, as a trophy, that we can trot them around the community and people can go, man, you must be really, really great parents. Look at your kids, you know, and we, we begin to, to sort of, uh, you know, say all the great things about our kids because it reflects on us. No, we're investing in them for their sake. And the same thing is true if you have a person that works for you and they're down the, the chain of command, let's say, in leadership, we invest in the people that work for us that are down the hierarchy for their benefit, 
not for our benefit. Because if we truly invest in them for their benefit, and they're a wholehearted person, and they're thriving, and they love their job, they love their work culture, if they're operating on all cylinders because we've invested in them for their benefit, that's just so much better for the organization. It pays off in the long run. And we don't do it for that reason. We do it because we actually care for that person, not just because they work for us. The fourth, down in verse 6, essentially Paul says, don't be a burden. Don't be a burden on other people. Trust the results, expect strong opposition, check your motives. Now, don't be a burden. Second half of verse 6. Even though, as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. And then look at verse 9. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. Paul says that a good characteristic of a leader is that we don't burden the people that we're called to serve. The context really for us is that we don't demand from you. We're doing this for you. Even as apostles, we could have asserted our authority. It's really easy in our relationships where we're giving to other people and caring for other people and discipling and mentoring to pull the power card out and to say, well, because I said so, or I'm in charge here, or you just do it the way I say you should do it. And we use our position of power. That's such a tricky, difficult thing that we have to just evaluate and allow Jesus to work in our lives to where we put power and authority in its proper place. And the words and ways of Jesus will inevitably lead us to become a servant leader, to serve other people. The great author one time said, said the people in your company don't work for you, you work for them. It flips the power structure over as we are serving and leading from that posture to help people become all that God wants them to be. It's easy to want power. It's easy to want to be liked. And when we do that, we make it all about us. And in Jesus' style of leadership, as Paul modeled it with the Thessalonians, he made it about them and he served them. So instead, we pay the price in this equation. We go first, and we go for them. So there's a fifth. And these last two are beautiful metaphors and illustrations by Paul for us. Really, it's our style of leadership. The first one is in verse 7 and 8. And I want to just make a note on the translation here. Some of your translations will say in verse 7, instead, we were like young children among you. Others, and I think it's preferable, say we were gentle among you. And they, instead of uh, young children, it's translated gentle. We were gentle among you. How? We were gentle like a nursing mother caring for her children. So we cared for you. 
And we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. This is a maternal style of leadership. And I don't want to press the, the, the stereotypes too far. Paul is just talking about different style of a mother, different style of a father. And I think about a baby in her mother's arms. How does God, I mean, how does a baby first learn about God? What God might be like, who God is. I believe it happens in a mother's arms. That gentle, caressing touch where a baby looks up at his mother's face and as far as that baby is concerned, her mother is God. Her mother is this baby's entire world. And the security and the safety in a mother's arms is such a beautiful transmission of life and leadership and love. We shared with you not only the gospel, but our lives as well. It's modeling the words and ways of Jesus. That's what Jesus did. He he came amongst us and shared his life. He walked three years with his 12 disciples. And Paul and Silas and Timothy and the Thessalonians and the River Church, we follow that model. To not only share the gospel, but to share our lives. We embody this message because there's a curriculum on the page, but there's also a curriculum of a life. And it makes such a difference. That's why sometimes we can't remember sermons. And Paul understood the two different styles of education, if you will, or mentoring. One was the Greek style, and that's the style of the classroom. The lecture, the content, take this down, this is going to be on the test. But there was a Hebrew style, it was the style of Jesus, it was the style of Paul, and that was life on life. We just do life together. And that is one of the things that has attracted me the most to the river, is that, yes, the river gathers together. We have programs, but what is really special and powerful about the river is that we do life together. We're in each other's homes. We travel together. When we suffer, we all suffer together. We care for one another. We walk the journey with each other. That's the rabbi style. That's the, the following uh, uh, in the dust of the rabbi and walking with Jesus, and walking with one another. And, and Todd said in a sermon uh, uh, sometime, I can't really remember which one it was, because we don't really remember sermons that well, but, but he did say this. I knew he said this because I know Todd. Todd said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And it's a trite little phrase, but it really packs a lot of power. People will know, know that we care, when we do life together with them. Okay, one more. In verse 10, Paul says, You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. Can you imagine saying that? That's a pretty high standard for leadership, for mentoring, for the influence we have in other people's lives. And I'm so grateful that our holiness, our righteousness, and our blameless living comes because we find ourselves in Jesus, in Christ. And his blood covers us and we can confess our sins to one another and find forgiveness. But Paul had a very high standard in terms of how he lived his life 
with the Thessalonians. He checked his motives. He laid them at the feet of Jesus and allowed him to purify them so that he could live a blameless life with pure motives with these people. So we had a maternal style of leadership, now a parental style of, uh, uh, I mean, a, a, a paternal style of mentoring. There, there's, there's the mother's gentleness, and now there's the father's strength. And again, I've met some very strong mothers. So I don't want to push Paul's analogy too far, because in one sense, Paul is saying, we were gentle like a mother, and we are strong like a father. In other words, we use both styles. There's, there's an appropriate time for this more maternal style, and there's a time for a paternal style, and both men and women use both of those styles at the right time. As a father, we were encouraging, comforting, and urging you to embody lives worthy of God. This sort of fatherly strength. The father takes the baby from his mother's arms, and the baby immediately feels the strength and the presence of that dad, the safety that is there. And what does the dad do? The dad is on a mission to encourage that child. You know what that means? Encourage means to breathe courage into another person when they need it. And we need courageous living today. And we need mentors, parents, surrogate parents who will breathe courage into our lives. And that's what we do for others. Comforting, English word comes from the Latin Comfortus, which means strength. Comforting, providing strength to a person that feels weak. That's what a father does, that fatherly style. And we're urging you to live lives worthy of God. And I think sometimes we misunderstand how this has been used by strong male leaders, like the coach who somehow thinks that he has to yell at his athletes to get something out of them. And yes, there may be a place where it's appropriate to yell, but profanity and yelling and belittling and even shaming, that doesn't work. And that's not what Paul's talking when he's using this word urging. He's using it like um, the, 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 um, the coach who is the player's greatest fan. And I don't know if, you know, you live by an elementary school or you, you, you hear the soccer on the weekends and there's the cacophony of parents that are yelling. It sounds the same no matter where you're at, no matter what sport, the parents on the sidelines yelling at the top of their lungs for their little kid to run faster or kick the ball. Or, and and it's, a, it's a, a very unique, almost um, comical sound. Because you can't see the parents, you can only hear the sound from a distance. And what Paul is talking about is, is, the, is the proper urging of a true fan. So that the people that we're mentoring, whether it's our children, our co-workers, the person we're discipling, that they know we are so committed to their success that we're urging them along with confidence and strength and courage. That's the wonderful option that we have as mentors. 
to trust the results, to expect strong opposition, to check our motives, to not be a burden, and to care like a mother, and to encourage like a father. And when that happens, people's lives are changed. And that's part of what we're all about, is being a church that is shaped by the words and ways of Jesus so that we encourage other people. I'd like you, as we're wrapping this up, I'll, Rachel, why don't you and the worship team come on up? I want you to think about a person who has been um, a powerful influence in your life. Try to get that person in your mind. <laughs> get that person in your mind. And th think, of, think of those characteristics. I wonder, if, I wonder if some of those might be in alignment with what Paul was doing with this young church. And, and I wonder if there's someone in your world who might identify you as that person, a person of influence in their life, because you've taken the initiative to go first and to pay the price and make it about them. A local church that takes seriously the words and ways of Jesus will inevitably invest in others. And that's what I love about the River Church. This is an investing church. This is a leadership church. This is a church of influence. In fact, Paul said in chapter one, he said, we don't have to tell anybody about you because the word about you has gone everywhere in the world. The River Church doesn't have to be slick and do all this marketing and get the word out about our programs. No, no. People, people hear about it because of you. So I want to encourage you to, to be like this church. And then consider the people that you influence and can invest in. They might be in your own home, your own classroom, your own workplace. So I love this song that Rachel's going to lead us in. Um, will you tell us a little bit about how you came to sing this song? And, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, sometimes it's hard to pick songs that are um, that go along with a message that is so specific. Um, most of our songs are a lot more kind of encompassing and the goodness of God, the love of God. God, we praise you. And those songs are amazing and good and needed. But um, coming back to a song that I hadn't heard in years and hadn't led in years, and um, the chorus says, For the sake of the world, burn like a fire in me. Light a flame in my soul for every eye to see. For the sake of the world, burn like a fire in me. I just thought that was so poignant, and God put this song on my heart. Um, that as we are going deeper in relationship, that as we are living life with one another, God is using every single one of us, every single moment in our lives, every single conversation, every single um, pass by. He is 
a light in us and using us to show others his love and we may not even know it. So I pray that as we come into this time of response, that we're asking God, God, where are those places? Who are those people? Um, as Bill said, um, so why don't we stand and sing this together, but also reflect. It's okay to sometimes just open your hands and bow and just receive what God has for you this morning. Amen. I'm laying down my life.
God, as you call us out of this place, Lord, as we're building our life upon you, as we're going deeper in relationship with you, help us to see where you want, where you want us to go in deeper relationship with others, how we can be your light, how we can be your love. Burn more in us, God. We want to burn so the flame is so visible that no one can say that it's not you, God. So God, we build our lives upon you. Let's sing this one more, one song together, Build My Life.
this week. We don't just do church on Sundays, God. We live your life every second, every moment, every hour. God, so I pray that you continue to lead us and help us build our life on you together as we do relationship and life together. This we pray in your name. Amen. We'll have an amazing Mother's Day. The rest of your day celebrating or grieving together. We are with you. And enjoy the rest of your beautiful Sunday. <laughs> Go in peace. We will see you soon. Let's do life together.